This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. After experiencing trauma, I went to therapy and my therapist guided me through a difficult time in my life. They helped me understand what was happening and provided me with tools to cope and find my own strength and resilience. Their experience and compassion were invaluable and enabled me to rebuild my life and move forward. I strongly believe in the power of therapy to help people through difficult times. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who is trained to listen and give you helpful, unbiased advice. First, you go to their site. You can use my link, betterhelp.com resilience. You answer a few questions and BetterHelp will match you to a professional who has years of experience helping people with struggles just like yours. Let BetterHelp connect you to a therapist who can support you, all from the comfort of your own home. Visit betterhelp.com slash resilience or choose podcast, then notes on resilience during sign up and enjoy a special discount on your first month. Hello and welcome to Notes on Resilience. I'm your host, Manya Chilinski. My guest today is Kelly J. Mendenhall. She's a disabled author, speaker, creator, and activist. And we talked about how to honor the mind, body, and spirit, and how important all three of those pillars are to our health. We also talked about how inside of every resilient person, there are memories of those times we thought we just couldn't take another step. And we talked about how difficult it can be to navigate our system sometimes, and it can be so hard to survive. And we also discussed the importance of leaning into joy. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. And please find us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review. Thanks. Hi, Kelly. I'm so excited that we're talking today. I am too. It's It hasn't even been that long since we last spoke and I'm still excited. I know. Me too. Me too. So before we get into all the details of the call, I ask all my guests, if you could have any superpower, what would that be? I actually, I don't know if this is cheating or not, but I actually say that my disabilities are my superpowers. Oh, okay. Because they've made me a kinder, more understanding. I mean, I've always been an empathic person, but I have a deeper level of empathy and understanding for pretty much everyone in the world around me. And I'm, 180 degrees worth of better at being patient now. Um, Mm -hmm. There are a lot of things that my disabilities have nurtured unexpectedly that I feel like those are my superpowers. Oh, wow. Okay. So you already have your superpowers. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. If I was going to add another one, Wolverine has been like my biggest comic book crush since I was a wee lass. and the idea of having a metal skeleton that heals itself would be really nice. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. If I could self heal and be made of uh, adamantium steel, that would be great. (laughs) That would absolutely be great. I hear you on that one. I love it. All right. Well, can you tell us, you know, who you are and what you do and why is it that you and I are talking about resiliency today? 
Well, my name is Kelly J. Mendenhall, and I am a disabled author, artist, speaker, and activist. I'm a disability advocate. And all of those things were accidental because I became suddenly medically disabled in 2017 and for a period of time unable to walk. I've been through four spinal surgeries and two abdominal surgeries. They were all pretty major in less than two years. And so I suppose the reason why I'm on this show is because I survived all of that. Yes. <laughs> and recreated a new lifestyle and career for myself that honors my mind, body, and spirit, mm -hmm. which is what I encourage other people to do. I have learned through my adventures over the last seven years that the mind, body, and spirit really are the three pillars of health. And if you are not healthy spiritually, you cannot be healthy physically and emotionally. And if you're not healthy physically, it's very difficult to be healthy emotionally. Mm -hmm. I live with complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which already existed in complex form before my medical crisis. Mm -hmm. So that added a lot of medicalized trauma. I live with major depressive disorder. Mm -hmm. I live with uh, generalized anxiety disorder, and I am now a cyborg. And I have four levels in my thoracic and lumbar spines fused. And then I have one single level in my cervical spine and my neck fused. And I have a electronic stimulator implant that mm -hmm. communicates with my spinal cord. Um, so I have electrical wires in my spinal column that send off electrical signals and pulses and communicate with each other. Wow. And those pulses travel to my brain to interrupt the pain mm -hmm. signal from my left leg to my brain. And so I'm a cyborg, I'm all these things, and I never let it stop me. Yeah. In fact, I credit it for helping me back to my most authentic version of myself. Wow. So I suppose that's why. <laughs> I think that is why we're talking today. Um, you have an incredible story of things that happened to you and then you you know, tapping into your resilience to build your new yeah. life. And, you know, I, I imagine that some of our listeners might have a hard time thinking about or understanding how you can think about your disability as a superpower. Yeah. To me, that is just an incredible signal of resiliency that you've, that you're making meaning from these things that have happened to you. Well, and that's what my mission has been since this all started. And I was a medical mystery at first. The pain, the big pain came into my life very suddenly and uh, debilitated me very suddenly. Mm -hmm. And I started going off work for six weeks of FMLA leave. And then it turned into eight and then 12 and then 16. And then I was finally let go because they just couldn't they couldn't hold my position any longer. Right. And I never went back to the working world outside of home. And I say often that my, my pain and, and my spinal issues were a very painful blessing in disguise mm -hmm. because I feel like 
I was only half living mm-hmm. before. I feel like it took a major event. I was never kind to myself. I wasn't taking care of myself. I had a lot of childhood trauma and trauma after trauma throughout adolescence and young adulthood. Mm-hmm. And then in my 30s, I end up with medicalized trauma. So I think that it has made me more compassionate and understanding of other people because I've experienced things that I would never have otherwise been exposed to. Right, right. So for instance, one of the things that took place over all those years of medical stuff was I almost died. Like I got serotonin toxicity, which is not usually you hear serotonin. It's like, we need more serotonin uh, to keep our moods up. And so when you hear the serotonin toxicity, you're like, huh? Yes, exactly. Like, I didn't even know you could get so much that it wasn't good for you anymore. Yeah. So if you mix the wrong medications, SSRIs, um, Mm. often used for anxiety and depression, if you mix more than one of them together, it can cause serotonin toxicity. And that was what was happening with my doctor was prescribing me two meds that shouldn't have been together. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that on top of that, I was taking a huge amount of nerve block medication. Mm-hmm. And for me, what serotonin toxicity looked like was I was driving down the road and all of a sudden, like it was becoming a tunnel and I was losing my vision and everything yeah. was going blurry. And I was having heart palpitations. Mm-hmm. And at one point, it started to sound like I was underwater. And yeah. so I called my pharmacist and I was like, what's happening? Is this like maybe a medication interaction or something? And they said, uh, yeah, I'm looking at your medications. And if you're taking these two things, then you're having serotonin toxicity or serotonin syndrome, I think they call it sometimes. Right. And I was like, okay, what do I do? And they were like, you, you need to call your doctor's office and be seen. And like, you might need to go to the emergency room. Right. So the only way to stop it is to stop taking medication. Mm-hmm. The only way to, to reverse the effects of the serotonin toxicity is to stop taking the medication that's causing the issues. Mm-hmm. If you can, if you're on a low enough dose that you can just cold turkey it and go off, then within 24 hours of it not being in your system anymore, you're okay. Right. It sounds like you've had a lot of challenges even since you you've identified your initial yeah so so when i had this happen i had to go cold turkey well i didn't have to go cold turkey i chose to go cold turkey Mm -hmm. and i went through withdrawals very Mm -hmm. like it was like coming off of a narcotic like heroin or something i was Mm -hmm. sick for four weeks it was horrible Mm -hmm. and that gave me a deeper level of empathy and compassion for people who struggle with substance misuse disorder Wow. Because because you were experiencing something that they might be experiencing. Wow. Kelly, can I just say, I'm so glad you're here. Like, oh, thank you. All of the things that you've gone through and you've got these great lessons to share, things that you've learned, and now you're wanting to help the rest of us learn about that. And yeah, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Well, yeah, thanks for being here for it and giving me space to help. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've talked about resilience. That's the name of the podcast. We've said the word a couple times, but what do you think the word means? And what do you think about the word resilience? When I think about my own resilience, I think about 
<laughs> sometimes I don't know if it's resilience or a stubborn will. <laughs> There's a line that my boyfriend likes to quote a lot from one of the Rocky movies where Sylvester Stallone tells his son, life isn't about how hard you get hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and get back up and yeah. keep fighting. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think of when I think of resiliency. And I think for some people, it is innate more than others, I believe. And I believe that some of us who go through all of the myriad of things we go through and you're mm -hmm. like, how can one person survive all that? I think we're the ones who go through it because we can survive it. Mm -hmm. And we're the ones who are supposed to carry that knowledge out into the world and help everyone know better and do better. Right. 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 So that's what resiliency is to me. My grandfather used to say it was the Viking blood in me because <laughs> he said, you come from a long line of strong Viking women. And it's true, I do. But yeah, that's what I think of when I think of resiliency is being okay. able to take the hard hit and get back up and keep going. Right. And I like what you said about we are the ones who survive. And for some of us, that means now taking that message forward. But, but you know, we don't we don't hear the stories of the people who, for whatever reason, don't make it. Yeah. You know, they've reached the limits of their resiliency and now, I guess, like a survivor bias. Yeah. And I, th I think I'm a little bit fortunate because I've lost a lot of people who, who lost their resiliency. And I know what it means to keep fighting and keep going. And I know what it looks like when somebody is too tired to carry on anymore. And I also have a deeper level of empathy and compassion for that. There were times where I was very, very close to giving up. Yeah. Inside every resilient person, like fantastically resilient person are like 10,000 memories of times we thought, this is the thing that got me. I can't do it anymore. I don't have it in me anymore. Yeah. But somehow, 100% of those days I have survived at this point. And hopefully I can help others to yeah. survive it. I really appreciate you saying that, that inside every resilient person, there are these memories of times where you thought you couldn't take another step or you couldn't do yeah. another thing or you couldn't deal with another X, Y, or Z. Crisis or, yeah. Because I think... I don't know. I think it's just so easy for us to be hard on ourselves and think if I'm questioning and I'm doubting, that means I'm not strong. I'm not resilient. I don't have the skills. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. But that's not the case. And if I could, I think if I can instill in young people anything, it would be that like we all, all of us, all of the people that others look up to, all of our role models uh, and examples of who we hope to be we've all had moments on the way to where we are, where yeah. we're like, I can't do it. I mean, for me, I went through those six major surgeries in less than two years. And in a period of four and a half years, I had six surgeries, like dozens and dozens of procedures. And then on top of all of the medical stuff, 
I'm dealing with my mental health, which is being exacerbated by the chronic pain. Right. I'm living in a place where I don't have access to resources. I was living in Tennessee at the time, mm-hmm. so I didn't have access to health insurance or anything like that. Mm-hmm. They don't participate in Medicaid. And then on top of all of that, over overarching all of that, I was fighting against the federal government for my disability benefits, and I ended up having to sue them. And I didn't finally win that case until last year, if that tells you anything. So from 2018 to 2022, I was fighting that battle. And then overarching all of that, for the first several years of of my disability, I was living in a really toxic household Mm -hmm. uh, with a very psychologically and emotionally abusive person. And, And I was being financially abused as well because I didn't. I couldn't work. So I wasn't the one bringing in all the money. And so I was controlled a lot. And so there was a lot of things happening all at once that I kept having to process and deal with and process and deal with. And it's not easy. And I did want to give up like 10,000 times. Yes. (laughs) And, And it's okay to want to give up sometimes. You just can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about sort of had a legal case going on and you talked about some things that were happening that were beyond you and beyond your own control and your own resiliency. As you know, from listening to the podcast, I think a lot about the role of policy and our systems and our institutions in being supportive of resiliency. So what do you, what do you think about how our society is set up and how our organizations are or aren't supportive of people? It's bad. I didn't realize how bad it was. I had dedicated my life to the nonprofit sectors. I worked in nonprofit because I knew there were a lot of underserved communities and subsectors of the population in the U.S. And I was very determined to be part of the good. It is incredibly difficult. If you don't have a higher level of education, if you haven't at the very least finished your high school diploma, and if you haven't been in the workforce or in higher education and been exposed to how to navigate systems, it's impossible to survive. Like, I think about that all the time, and my therapist and I have talked about it all the time, and I'm like, there's so many people out there suffering just as much as I am, and they don't know how to access the resources that I know how to access. And they don't know how to fight against the system when it's kicking you in the teeth. Like a lot of people don't believe or know or understand that they they have options mm-hmm. or appeals. And I think our system, honestly, if I'm going to be very frank with you, I believe that our entire system is set up to make it as challenging as possible to access any resources needed mm-hmm. because they are depending on people giving up to avoid paying things like insurance companies don't want to pay disability claims. The government doesn't want to pay disability claims. I mean, I believe it's set up to make it as difficult and mind numbingly like crazy making as possible. Yeah. And my therapist has said to me, you didn't just experience medical gaslighting over all these years. You've experienced legal gaslighting. Like they were literally for all those years, I'm constantly having to refill out all these papers. I mean, it would take me eight hours to fill out one set of documents that they insisted on having again, because my case had been in the system for so long that they decided that those other documents weren't valid. And I was literally having to re-traumatize myself over and over again to fill out 
all this paperwork and stuff. I think the system is set up to be a disadvantage to the majority of our population. And I don't think it's accidental. Hmm. Do you think that it's possible to change that or realistic to expect a change? It's not realistic to expect anything. (laughs) Good point. Good point. Uh, especially not when it comes to our government (laughs) or society and culture. And I'm not saying that because I'm critical of any particular party or politician. I'm critical of all of them. I have a master's degree in public administration. My bachelor's was in political science. I literally spent my adult life like fighting the good fight for people and because of all the things that we lack in our Mm -hmm. society. So I'm saying the whole thing sucks. I'm not, I'm not like making it political. It's all bad to expect it to change. Isn't going to do any good. We have to, I believe, which is very, this is my inner teenage punk rock girl is so mad at me right now, but we have to work within the system that exists Mm -hmm. to improve the system. Yeah. So the reason why I do things like, trying to talk to everyone who will listen about medical gaslighting and building cooperative relationships between physicians and patients. And I'm also telling people like what my experience was like trying to get the disability benefits that I had every right to. And I, I was in, in no way cheating the system. I talk to anybody who will listen and I spread awareness about it because that's where it starts. And I was just talking to a disability advocate two days ago. Her name is Brie Miller and she's a former news anchor woman in California. And we were talking about what it's like to be disabled. She's been an advocate. She was there when they signed the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, into law. She is the type of woman who laid the groundwork for people like me to even have a microphone to -hmm. speak into, you know, and and that's where it starts is we need to make our microphones as big as possible and get the word out as much as possible. And once more people are aware of a thing, people are much more aware of medical gaslighting now than they were when I started writing about it in 2017 and 2018. When I was hashtagging medical gaslighting, I was the only one. It was yeah. like less than a hundred views, you know what I mean? So it's the awareness has grown a lot. And I think if we're going to impact and change how things are, we have to present the information in a way that is palatable to the people we want to make moves to change things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the way we deliver messages impacts how other, well, all the time, it impacts yes. how others receive them. Yes. And I think something that a lot of young people will learn when they're when I say young people, I think of like college undergrads, you know, Mm -hmm. or or high school seniors, something that the the next generation might not know as well as we know, Mm -hmm. and and they'll hopefully learn to know it, is that the way that you present an argument, that is the difference between sparking change and setting progress back, right? Yeah. And and that can be so difficult, especially when it's something very personal and when you're feeling marginalized and and angry, it can be very difficult to find 
the right words or the right tone. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's why I write. Well, I mean, I write because I was born a writer, but I write a lot and blog a lot and do articles about this stuff because it can be easier for people to receive information if they are in their own territory, so to speak, Mm -hmm. their own environment, and they're reading the information at a time when they're calm and like clear headed and they're not like upset versus impassioned people screaming at each other across the Senate floor. Right. Like, and it's different. And we know that when, when I as an individual am feeling strong emotions, that it is harder to hear messages. It's harder to remember what you say. So if, if I'm trying to get a message across and I'm angry and then you are responding to that, then I'm, I'm already making it harder for you to hear the message because I'm putting this strong emotion over onto you. Yep. Too. Yep. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting point about working within the system. And I agree. I think um, my, not necessarily punk rock, but my teenage self would be horrified to think that that's the way to do it. Right. Because but, we're supposed to fight the system. And, <laughs> and I get that. And like, yeah, damn the man. I'm there with you. <laughs> At the same time, they're not listening to anybody standing outside pumping their fist saying, damn the man. But they are listening to people like Bree Miller and like myself. There were state legislators at the um, Disability Awareness Day conference that I was a keynote speaker at back in March of this year. I mean, I just kept thinking, how can I make this keynote palatable and include the information I need to include so that they understand the gravity of the situation I was in Mm -hmm. and like how messed up it was? that I had to fight so hard for my disability, but say it in a way that's not going to put them on the defensive because they're part of the government. Right. Right. And what is that fine line? I made it humor. I often depend on humor for ice breaking and softening blows. (laughs) So, you know, so I said something along the lines of my speech of, I had to sue the federal government for my disability benefits. That was super fun. You always <laughs> want to have to sue the government, you know, and everybody laughed and it was, it, it didn't become a moment of tension or, or othering. I wasn't pitting myself as me against them because they might be in the federal government, but they're not like the ones who are like tinkering in the background somewhere. Like we're not going to give this girl her disability. You know, it's not, right. that's not a thing. The right. system is what it is. It's hard not to take it personally because it yeah. is personal to us. Exactly. When your livelihood and your health and all of these things, when the, when they're on the line, it is very personal. And I was really angry for a couple of years. I'll admit yeah. that. I was very, I was very angry. And my question to you is only a couple of years? Like, <laughs> you're- well, <laughs> So the other day I was having to have conversations about bankruptcy because when you are completely like incapacitated for six and a half years, I mean, like, I think people assumed that I had some, like my family had the means to be helping me and things weren't that bad. I think a lot of people didn't appreciate how bad it was. I maxed out like four or five credit cards. My mom had a credit card she used to help me. 
And then she would have to fight with my stepdad about, was she helping me too much? And like, it was this strain. It was a financial strain that spread not just through me, but all of my friends and family, all my loved ones, because no one that I know is a rich person or wealthy person. We're all like blue collar people. Well, I say that, but I wasn't blue collar. I was, I mean, I grew up blue collar, but I was white collar technically when I was working, even though I didn't make very much money, (laughs) but the secondary trauma that my family and friends and loved ones experience Mm -hmm. because of everything I've been put through, that's like a whole nother layer of adding insult to injury because then you feel like you're the one putting your family through this. So the other day when I was having to talk about bankruptcy and I was having to talk about the same day I was at the dentist facing all of my anxiety about being to the dentist for the first time since 2017, because I finally have Medicare. So I could get dental help and all this anxiety is like pouring on to me and I'm looking at the low balance of my bank account and I started to get really sad and really angry and I was crying and very emotional and Jeff was just trying to like comfort me through it and stuff. And I was like, I'm just sad and pissed off. And what I really wanted to do was go crawl into bed with junk food and like watch super lowbrow tv like real housewives of new jersey and like cry (laughs) and be alone that's what i like to watch when i'm having a mental health day (laughs) watch like the most ridiculous tv but um i wanted to do that and i wanted to just like hide from the world and like cover my head over with the blanket and i was like all right kelly what are you pissed off about you're pissed off because a bunch of bureaucrats and medical professionals put you in a position where you are now permanently disabled and you are for the rest of your life, you're going to have to be fighting to figure out how to generate income and take care of yourself and set yourself up for your long-term future. Because there's a very scary, it's very scary prospect to be aging. I'm now 40. And like when I think about my future and aging with all these medical issues and stuff, it's really daunting. And I was like, So what can you do to try to make it so you don't have to be angry and afraid anymore or sad? What can you do? Because ultimately my goal is to make enough money through my art and writing and and speaking engagements and everything to not need my disability income. I would love to be able to tell the government, see ya, don't need you anymore. Like, (laughs) you don't get to know my life. Like, (laughs) but I said to myself in that moment, what can you do right now to try to change the trajectory? And I thought, well, I've got a whole list that my coach sent me of speaking engagements at virtual summits and in-person summits for the rest Mm -hmm. of the year. Go freaking apply to be a speaker. Yeah. You really do. You have to be willfully like committed to not letting yourself stay in that place. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And that, that takes a lot of work. Um, Kelly, this has been such a great conversation and thank you for being so open about what's going on with you and, and the things that you're struggling with and the things that you're succeeding at as we're getting ready to wrap up. What's one question that you wish I had asked you and how would you answer it? Oh man. Oh, I guess, I guess, uh, 
what what am I doing now? Since I am disabled and I don't work, what do I do now when I say that I'm working? And for me, so I started the Affordable Art Revolution to try and spread more love and joy to disabled people everywhere um, through art in the written word. So everything on my website that is not a custom creation, it's not something someone commissioned me to do, is pay what you can or name your own price. Mm-hmm. Do that because I believe art is for everyone and should mm-hmm. be inclusive, including those of us who are on minimal income mm-hmm. through disability and things. And that's my greatest joy right now is spreading joy to others. And like when people send me pictures of the things that I create and I pour so much love into Mm -hmm. to see them in their new homes and like have people so happy and excited about them. That's where I get a lot of joy from. And I have learned in the last couple of years, my therapist has helped me learn. You have to lean into the joy. Don't Mm -hmm. let life take the joy away from you because why we have suffered enough yeah, you have suffered enough. I have suffered enough. We all, life is hard enough. Lean into as much joy as you possibly can. Yeah. Oh, I really like that. Thank you for sharing that. Now, before we wrap up, what would you tell your 18 year old self about resiliency with what you know now? It's going to get way worse and way uglier before it gets better, but it's going to get better. And you're going to get to the moment where everything feels right. And it's going to be a while. (laughs) It's going to be a long time before you feel like you understand exactly where you're supposed to be, but it's going to get better. Nice. I like that thought. All right. So as we wrap up, tell our listeners, how can they reach you? You can email me. Hello at kellyjmendenhall.com. My website is kellyjmendenhall.com, obviously. And I'm on all socials as either Kelly J. Mendenhall or author Kelly J. Mendenhall. And I do have a Facebook group <laughs> called Stitch and Bitch, a blog and support community. And it is literally every Friday night, we do a virtual hangout. Whoever wants to come can come. Mm-hmm. You just have to be a member of the group because I try and keep it a safe space for people A lot of people in the group are living with different diagnoses, both mental and physical. So I try to keep it a safe space. Uh, And so far that's worked. So, but every Friday night at eight o'clock, we do a virtual stitch and bitch hang where we can just laugh and commiserate and work on creative things if you want to, or just sit and enjoy the company. And you can do it using very little spoons because you don't have to leave the house and you can be in your pajamas. (laughs) I love it. All right. Thank you for sharing that. And there, I'm going to put links for all of that in the show notes. So our listeners can you. Kelly, thank you for sharing your story and for this conversation. I really appreciate talking about resiliency with you. Thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed it too. All right. Bye everyone. See you soon. Thank you for listening. I hope you got as much out of this conversation as I did. So if you'd like to learn more about me, Manya Chilinski. I work with organizations to help understand how to create environments where people can thrive after difficult life experiences. And I do this through talks and consulting. 
I'm a survivor of mass violence, and I use my experience to help leaders learn about resiliency, compassion, and trauma-sensitive leadership to build strategies to enable teams to thrive and be engaged amidst difficulty and turmoil. If this is something you want to learn more about, visit my website, www.maniachilinski.com, or email me at mania at maniachilinski, or stop by my social media on LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. I hope you got as much out of this conversation as I did. So if you'd like to learn more about me, Manya Chilinski, I work with organizations to help understand how to create environments where people can thrive after difficult life experiences. And I do this through talks and consulting. I'm a survivor of mass violence, and I use my experience to help leaders learn about resiliency, compassion, and trauma-sensitive leadership to build strategies to enable teams to thrive and be engaged amidst difficulty and turmoil. If this is something you want to learn more about, visit my website, www.maniachilinski.com, or email me at mania at or stop by my social media on LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks so much. Talk soon.